You're listening to The Preppy Podcast, and I'm your host, Patricia May Olson. I'll be interviewing the brands, businesses, and influencers who are keeping the modern preppy lifestyle alive. Each Tuesday, I'll bring you a new episode, but if you're craving more preppy, then shop the merch and listen to past episodes at thepreppypodcast.com, and be sure to follow at The Preppy Podcast and me, Patricia underscore May underscore Olson on Instagram. Hello, everyone, and happy Thanksgiving week. I am so excited because I have my friend Julianne Taylor Style on the podcast today. I have known her for many years and all the different iterations of her career and journey. So it's super fun to chat with her. She's also a great hostess with the mostest with lots of fun tips. So let's get into it and happy Thanksgiving. All right. So why don't you let everyone know who you are, where you live, and what you do? Hi, everyone. I'm Juju Taylor. I am based in Charleston, South Carolina. I'm a product designer for home decor and fashion brands. I'm a digital content creator, so I work with local and national brands. And I'm also a business coach for female creatives. Yes. And I have known you for many years and through all different um, journeys in your career, I feel like. So I'm so excited to talk with you and learn more about, um, you know, how you started off and then where you are today and everything in between and share some of your good juju. I feel like that's my favorite part about you is you just have this warm energy. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get into it. So I like to start at the beginning. Um, So tell me a little bit about you as a kid. Were you someone that was always entrepreneurial and creative or what was your childhood like? You know, I've always been a creative, um, someone that's very interested in making things. Mm -hmm. So when I was younger, you know, I would try to make an outfit or a dress by sewing a pattern. I was terrible at it, but there was this interest in the making of something, sort of this artisanal piece. And I was very heavily influenced by my dad. He was an entrepreneur at heart and started his, he had two very successful businesses in Columbia, South Carolina that he started from scratch. And so I think growing up, I was very, very heavily influenced, um, by him. And that, you know, both my parents, my mom was a real estate agent. She was very successful. She was a stay-at-home mom until my sister and I um, were kind of in middle school and then decided to get her real estate license. But I think one of the key things for me is that growing up in the South as a girl, I had two parents that consistently told me messaging around, you can do anything you want to. You can be anything you want to be. You can do anything you want to do. So I grew up, you know, certainly there were there were messaging and and limits placed on me from society and and other people. You know, we have sort of expectations, Mm -hmm. but I had two parents that really pushed me to do anything I wanted to do, that I was smart enough, I was good enough. And if I worked hard enough, I could do anything in the world. And I think that has really shaped me into the woman that I am today. 
Certainly. It sounds like you had, you know, two great cheerleaders behind you growing up, which is so special. And I think a lot of us, I'm like you, where um, my dad had a business and my grandfather had a business and, you know, my mom helped with that business. So watching your family or whoever you grew up with uh, start and make something and the work that goes into it, but also the, the passion and ownership behind it, I feel like is so inspiring. I agree. And I think there's something to be said for you know, I, I I talk about this a lot with the women that I work with. And I think sometimes there's this fear that exists from taking, you know, to take the leap Mm -hmm. and being surrounded by parents that were risk takers, Mm -hmm. you know, that definitely rubbed off on me. And listen, you know, my parents weren't perfect by any means, but, you know, these are the things that, that they really instilled in me that it's okay to take a risk. It's okay to fail. Yeah. And I think as entrepreneurs, you truly have to be willing to fail. That's how you become successful is, is being willing to fail. Definitely. So then when it came time for college, where and what did you end up studying? Was it something in entrepreneurship or tell me about, you know, your, your college journey? Well, I definitely early on, I got kind of bitten by the interior design bug Mm -hmm. and my undergraduate degree is in interior design from the University of Georgia. Um, And then I have a master's in human resources, which a lot of people don't know about me. Um, But so I spent my 20s working in corporate America for um, a little beverage company called PepsiCo. And (laughs) I was doing leadership development and communications training and all of those things that I certainly use now in my businesses and as a coach. Mm-hmm. And then on the weekends, I would be working with friends, decorating their homes for free. So, you know, that that's sort of how I spent my 20s. And then my husband and I got married and I went off on this incredible adventure for the next decade following his career with General Motors all around the world. So while I was having kids and moving from country to country, you know, every couple of years we moved, we lived in Australia, Spain, China, Korea, and I was so inspired by all of the cultural and design elements that you would see in all of these foreign places. And because I was the trailing spouse, when we got married, I left my job at PepsiCo. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of like, well, what am I going to do? And you join the American Women's Club and you you join certain groups so that you can meet people. And people were like, you have a design degree. Can you help me? Oh. And so I, every country I moved to, I would go to the American Women's Club meetings <laughs> and I would instantly have like 10 new clients. And I just had a home-based interior design business while we lived overseas. Yeah. Is so cool and so smart. I feel like, first of all, to put yourself out there and, you know, be in this new country and new environment and then have um, the strength and the the creativity to, to realize you have a business opportunity there and make the most of it. Yeah. You know, it was, I mean, there's certainly when you're the trailing spouse, you you can very easily struggle in those environments to find your purpose and get up every day and be like, okay, because most of the time the trailing spouse was the wife mm-hmm. and the husband was in you know, a very high level executive position. They were entertaining ambassadors and all of these high level people and they wanted their homes to look nice. And so it really was kind of this 
captive audience of people that had a little bit of extra disposable income. We're all in rental housing. So you're not going to be painting and doing draperies and all those things, but they wanted new furniture. They wanted to buy artwork. They wanted, you know, entertaining pieces so that they could have large groups of people over to their homes. So it really was an opportunity that I seized to say, you know, this is something that I'm good at and I can make some money doing it too. Yeah, for sure. So when you were doing this design business then, at that point, were you sourcing things online? Were you just going with, you know, these customers to the local market and kind of working with what they had and buying some new things? Like, tell me about what that process looked like. Cause I feel like, you know, living overseas in some of these places, it must've been uh, so fun and really, really used your creativity then to make it work. Like you said, because you couldn't paint or add drapery. Yeah. So we did a lot of custom furniture. Mm. So I, we would select fabrics. I would take them shopping. We'd go to the fabric market and we would pick out fabrics for all of their furnishings and new bedding and when we got to Shanghai, I it's sort of like snowballed and really picked up momentum and really was the catalyst for what you know now is Taylor Burke Home. Mm-hmm. And that's how you and I initially met. Um, so I started doing a lot of custom furniture. So I would design the furniture, I would draw it out, and I learned Mandarin. I'm certainly not fluent mm-hmm. by any means, but I learned conversational Mandarin so that I could go to the markets and barter and negotiate. And I just loved the Chinese people. Mm-hmm. You know, I would joke with them and, you know, we would laugh because as Westerners, you know, I'm like this piece of salt in a sea of pepper, right? Mm -hmm. Like you go to the market and there I am, this blonde, I'm taller and I have hair on my arms, which a lot of Chinese people, you know, they, they, that's very interesting to them that Westerners, we have hair on our arms. And so I was also pregnant at the time. And so I would go to the markets and joke with them. You know, they'd be like, oh, baby, you know, and they would want to touch. And then I would pretend like, oh, I'm going into labor. And then they would laugh and we would just have a good old time. I really enjoyed like just submersing myself into the Chinese culture. And I loved the food, the flavors, the language and the people. And so because I was this Westerner, even though, you know, my Chinese was kind of broken and whatever. I would just talk really fast instead of trying to use the tones. And I would just talk really fast and they would figure out what I was trying to say. And they, because of the fact that there there was this blonde lady trying to speak their language, I think it like, you know, was endearing to them that they were like, let's help this, this blonde lady get her <laughs> furniture made because she's trying so hard. And so Um, That really was the catalyst to Taylor Burke Home, which was my custom upholstery company. It was launched in Shanghai. And what I found is all the people that I was helping over there and designing all of this custom furniture, I thought, you know, I really do have a unique perspective on design elements. And I really like designing product. Mm -hmm. And so my first collection I showed at America's Mart in Atlanta, I had everything manufactured in Shanghai. I loaded up a container, shipped it to America's Mart, and that was our first show back in 2012. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so... 
you have this furniture line then. How did you even know about America's Mart? Because at that point, you were still living overseas, correct? So were you yes. kind of researching and um, looking into what the market was like in the U.S.? And was your plan always kind of to bring it to the U.S. then? So I grew up, my aunt was also an interior designer, mm-hmm. and I grew up going to America's Mart. So I, I mean, I've been going to America's Mart for a really long time and they would get me in under a badge, but my sister would go, my mom would go, we'd all go. And that was back when the requirements to get in were not so strict. Mm -hmm. And so we'd all go, all the cousins, my mom, her two sisters, we'd all, you know, there was like seven of us, we'd all go. And so I knew about America's Mart. I knew about High Point Market, um, And so I just wanted, it was a test. Mm -hmm. I wanted to just test the waters and see like, do I have, is this a, a, a concept? Is this a a viable concept for a business? Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing about that first show back in 2012 is one Kings Lane discovered us. And that was absolutely a game changer for our business because we immediately took off. Because the deal is, is that as everybody knows, like you you think you're going to go set up a booth at America's Mart and make like a million dollars. We all know that doesn't happen, right? Yeah. Um, and it takes a lot of hard work and definitely that re- that was required in this business. But we like hit the ground running because One Kings Lane found us and they immediately wanted to do, they loved our look. They loved the pieces that I had designed. So they immediately started doing these Taylor Burke home sales. Wow. And I mean, I couldn't keep up with all the product they were asking for. Like we would be sold out of things. And at the, at this point in time, we had moved to South Korea. We were living in Seoul. Okay. And I, so I did this show, I go home and I told my husband, I was like, I think, I think we're on to something. And I think if I really want to make a go of this business, we need to move back to the U S now, mind you, we had been gone for almost 10 years. And so we were ready. Like we had had all our three children. It was sort of like, do we want to move to potentially, Uzbekistan next, or do we want to go back <laughs> to the U.S.? Um, and I think it was like Uzbekistan or St. Petersburg in Russia or something. Those were kind of on the table. Wow. And I was like, those sound really exciting, <laughs> but mama's tired. Like mm-hmm. I think, and he was too. It was like, you know, we've been gone almost 10 years. Like let's move back to the U.S. and set down some roots. So it was sort of all this perfect storm of like, I had this business idea And, you know, it was still kind of in that proof of concept phase, even though we had some early success. And so I had this reason to move back to the U.S., but plus we were just ready to go. So we moved back to the U.S. We decided to make Charleston our home. And um, I immediately found U.S. manufacturers that could fabricate my products. Okay. And And at this point, did you have a website too, or were you just kind of direct to um, wholesalers and designers? We had a website. um, And part of that was, you know, anyone shopping on One Kings Lane, or if you're going to go on any platform, you're most likely going to go to that brand's website as well um, to see if like they're legit. And Mm -hmm. so we had to have a website. But um, 
so I immediately, that only that first collection was manufactured in Shanghai. From then on, our brand story has all been around made in the U.S. We manufacture everything here. It's all made in Hickory, North Carolina. And we were like off and running. We started, we would go to market four times a year. We'd go to two shows in High Point, two shows at America's Mart. We even did Vegas a couple of times. Um, you know, it was off and running. Yeah, definitely. And that's when I, like you said, I discovered you through Taylor Brooke Home originally. And I have many of those pieces in my home, which I love, and just the quality and the style and the color. It's just so perfect. Um, So tell me a little bit, because during this part of your story, I know you write a book too, correct? Yes. So the interesting thing that happens when you're on the show circuit, like what I, I call us carnies, because <laughs> you see the same, you know, booths, the same showrooms, all the same people. We all work the shows. And so you go from Atlanta to Vegas to High Point and it, all the carnies are there. And so you get to be really good friends with the heads of all of these other companies. And there are some amazing creatives out there. They're all at the show because people want to meet the person behind the brand. So one of the things about me is that I, I love meeting new people. And so I would just roll right up into people's showrooms and be like, Hey, I'm, I'm, my booth is like two doors down. What's your name? What do you do? Tell me all about you. You know, oh, I love your product line. And so I made friends with lots of other people that were super talented in their own right. And I started getting questions from people that were like, when are you going to, when are you going to do a book? And I was like, yeah, I don't really, I don't think I'm going to do a book. And they were like, do a book about design. And I'm like, that doesn't seem that interesting to me. And there's so many people doing design books. I don't, you know, I don't think my point of view is that different. Um, but I started having this quiet whisper around doing something that supported other female entrepreneurs. Because even in the home decor and furniture in- industry, um, it's still a big boys club. Mm-hmm. Even though there are a lot of women like me that own companies, it, it really is, a, you know, the good old boys club. And so, and I'm not saying that to knock men, that those are just facts that people would agree with. And so I wanted to do something that was really more of a passion project for me. And I thought, you know, I would like to write a book about amazing women in the home decor industry that own some of these fantastic companies. And we pitched the idea to a couple of publishers and, you know, it was an exciting project at the time, but what we found is that some of the publishers, they wanted to manage the project, they wanted to manage the project. So they wanted to designate who the women would be. And I was like, no, no. Yeah. You're like, this is my (laughs) idea, my baby. (laughs) No, thank you. You know, I I want to say who the women are going to be because these are all of the women in the book. It's called Design Her. And it is the story of 35 female entrepreneurs in the home decor industry. And every person in there, I have a personal relationship with. So, you know, I've met, I've either met them at some point, like there's, there's a relationship there versus, Mm -hmm random women that a publisher wants to have as part of this book. And so um, we ended up self-publishing and which was great to do. I, I, 
have never regretted that. And I was able to be in charge and in control of that project. And that project led me into lots of open doors from companies that were like, I really love your aesthetic. Your showrooms are beautiful. I love your look and what you put together. And I really love what you stand for. You seem to be a pretty cool human being that's not a diva. And I love your love for supporting other people. Do you want to come and like design a collection with us and launch a marketplace? And I was like, yeah. (laughs) That was really exciting. And so um, around that same time, 2015, I launched my second company, which is Julianne Taylor Style, which is what most people know me for today. Mm -hmm. And I very strategically did that at that time. You know, you you don't know what you don't know, right? Mm -hmm. But I was smart enough at that point in time to know that I need to have my own personal brand that is separate from this upholstery company, Taylor Burke Home, because I may sell that at some point. Mm. And I want my own personal brand that will open up opportunities for me to do things for me. And so Julian Taylor Style became a lifestyle umbrella company for um, digital content creation, product design. You know, I went on a book tour uh, for Design Her, business coaching. I started getting asked to speak at women's conferences about my story and how I launched my business. And I'm a natural mentor of other people. And so when you lean into those things, more opportunities find you. And so even the coaching business that I have today, you know, I never set off. 12 years ago to be like, I'm going to be a small business coach for (laughs) female entrepreneurs. I fell into that because I I leaned into it and the universe responded. I love that. And we've talked about that a lot, just you and I and um, attending your retreat and everything. Um, So I'd love to talk more about that too, because also having these other forms of income, I think is so important. And I think you mentioned before, you know, when one thing's drying up a little bit or, um, you know, there's changes in the economy or something like that, you can pull the lever of the other business then to, to help sustain you. So I'd love for you to touch on that because I, like you, have different facets to my business, and I think that's so smart and so important. Totally. Um, You know, we've had conversations at length about this, Mm -hmm. Um, and even for our clients, I I think it is so important. I'm a huge proponent of making sure that you diversify your revenue streams Um, because, like, for example, and I know you and I have talked about this in great length, in 2020, you know, I'm a digital content creator, right? Well, in 2020, as soon as the, the world fell apart, all of my my content creation campaigns were either canceled or po- postponed. Mm-hmm. So if all I did for a living was create content for brands, I would literally be struggling to feed my kids because none of that, I, I, my business was on hold. But during that time, I was able to pull the levers of other revenue streams. Businesses still needed to have new products to put out in the marketplace so I could design products. Business owners were like, oh, wow, I've got to pivot and I need some help to do that. So they would hire me as their coach. So different points in time throughout the year, I am absolutely able to pull the lever on each of those three things, depending on 
what's happening in the world economy. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, you know, sometimes when I, people are like, what do you do for a living? And I, I'm like, well, I, there are three ways that I make money and here's what they are. And sometimes people are like, wow, you're busy. And I'm like, well, I would just call it purposeful variety, yeah. intentional variety, because I really need that variety in my life. I love that like today I'm might be shooting content this afternoon. I might go downtown on the streets of Charleston and shoot a campaign. And tomorrow I'm coaching a client. So um, I, I do love having the variety. And one of the things that I find is all three of them are connected. Mm-hmm. It's like a big web. So a client may hire me as their business coach, but then, then down the road, they may say, we want to come back and have you create a, shoot a campaign for us. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely overlap. Um, and even in some of the, the collaborations that I do with brands, I may work with them to design some product for a little capsule. Well, then they're going to ship me all the product and say, you know what you're doing. We want you to shoot the campaign and do all the reels and TikToks associated mm-hmm. with it because I'm experienced in all of those things. And that that's what keeps life fun. Yeah. I a thousand percent agree. And I think that's so smart for listeners to kind of keep in mind and be open to adding different you know, revenues to your business. Yes. Now, I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about your coaching and your retreats, because I know that's sort of um, where you are today. So tell me and the audience about that. Well, there's several ways that I work. um, And and my niche is female entrepreneurs. That's who I really love to work with. And typically women that are kind of three to five to seven years into their business. Um, So I work with women one-on-one and also as part of a group coaching model. But one of the things that I have become that's more of a recent um, passion of mine that is I've been asked for years to kind of, why don't you do a little retreat in Charleston and have, you know, some women. And I've been pondering over and thinking about how to do that in a really successful way. And so in August, we tested the waters and I was so honored that you came to the retreat, Patricia. It was a wonderful group um, of 10 women. And we just poured, for me, it's all around value. I always want women to leave and be like, that was the best money I've ever spent. Mm -hmm. That was worth every penny. And so I put together um, an agenda that I really felt would be impactful. And, you know, I think that there are lots of conferences and wonderful things out there for you to go to where you can network and meet lots of people and hear inspiring speakers. But I think what happens at a lot of conferences where there's 150, 200 people attending, you will most likely sit in the audience and hear incredibly inspiring stories of other entrepreneurs, but you may not take that many notes in terms of actionable items for you to immediately implement in your business. Mm-hmm. And But there's a time and place for all that. So I'm not knocking that. There's value in listening to an inspiring story. Our retreat was really focused on we're we're getting down and dirty and doing all the work in the retreat. So we had some business topics that we covered, but we also had a workbook where, you know, I wanted all of the ladies to spend time in the workshops to do the planning. So it's not, we'll take this and then go back to your office and do the work next week. We're doing it right now. 
so that the women left knowing I've already done all the work. I've already got the action plan. I know what I need to do as soon as I get back to the office. The other thing that we really tried to focus on was the connection. So we'd work till about 2.30 every day on business content. And then the afternoon would be fun activities for connection, like the sunset cruise, or we did candle making one afternoon. We had dinner together and it really was to just test the waters to see like, is this something that would be something I could do every year with a group of women? And I really think I found my groove with this retreat. Um, the feedback was overwhelmingly positive. And the only thing that the women asked for was, can we make it longer next time? Mm-hmm. We want more connections. So this time it was a two-day retreat. In May, we're going to do three days. So it inev- it'll be four days by the time you arrive and depart. But it's it's an extra day this time so that we can build in more time for that connection. And for me, as I move into my 50s, this is where I really can start to think about purpose and legacy. And I really have a passion around seeing more successful female entrepreneurs out in the world. And so I am super excited and jazzed about planning the next retreat. And I, I want to keep it going and just making it a super impactful opportunity for women to come together, fellowship, friendship, fun, and business basics. I had the best time and I'm looking forward to next spring as well because I really did leave with things that I learned and could apply to my business, especially I know the last one focused a little bit about Myers-Briggs. So learning about that and how I communicate with others and maybe why I communicate with others and why I might um, butt heads with some clients and how how to fix that. Um, so I, I really did love the workbook that we got to fill out and also all the fun activities. I still think about the salad that I had at the one restaurant. <laughs> um So I am, you know, obviously in PR, so I always am curious on this podcast, I ask people like, what's the best form of marketing for them? So I'm curious with you, what's worked best in getting the word out for any of your businesses? Um, What do you really lean into? The best form of marketing, well, there's kind of two things. Mm -hmm. One is I lean very heavily into local events. Mm -hmm. So here in Charleston, um, I like to be very entrenched into the community. Now, I, I do work with brands on a national level. I work with women all across the country, but I think setting deep roots into your local community is always going to be beneficial to you. Um, So that's one thing. And then sort of kind of brass tacks. I I run ads on Instagram. Mm -hmm. You know, I, for me, one of, especially for my brand partnerships, a metric that's important to them is the number of followers. You know, now I'll always argue followers aren't everything, but to some of the big brands that I work with, it's the first metric they look at and it's very important to them. And so nowadays it's very hard to grow, but if I have a really good piece of content, I'll run like a little $10 ad for, you know, a couple of weeks behind it. And you'd be amazed at how many followers they find you. And if your content, it resonates with them they will choose to follow you and they become some of the most engaged people on your account. Mm -hmm. That's really good advice. And I also like 
that you mentioned leaning into your local community because I'm guilty of when I first started, I really leaned into it. And then I sort of got more clients that weren't locally based. So I, I didn't spend as much time locally here, I feel like, going to events and networking. But in the past six months, it's become a big focus of mine is getting back into that because I think I forgot about you know the power of that local network. Um, like I said, even if your business majority isn't necessarily taking place locally, uh, I think they're just some of your biggest supporters, that local tie. But then also you never know who they might know in you know Dallas, Texas or something like that. Exactly. So I like how you mentioned that. Exactly. You know, they all have plenty of friends that are coming to visit or what I, I just think supporting your local community and getting involved in some way is really, really important. Definitely. Now, what about um, a resource that you could share with listeners? Like, is there um, a book that you really love that had to do with either entrepreneurship or creativity or business to share or or a group you're part of or, um, you know, a, uh, a class you've taken, something like that that you think everyone should check out? Yeah. So for me, I get asked a lot, like, how do you find your circle? You know, how do you find your crew of people that really get you? And I think there is a struggle for a lot of people just in finding friendships, you know, with like-minded individuals. And one of the things that I feel really proud of this year to be a part of is a local group. I'm one of five women in what we call the Think Tank. And it's a diverse group of ladies. They're all entrepreneurs and super talented in their own rights, but in different areas. And we get together once a month and we are very intentional. We go to lunch, we do things together, and we always do a hot seat as part of that to talk about, here's a goal of mine, or here's what I'm struggling with, and the rest of us funnel ideas. We also have a text chat that we, when there's something really exciting, we put it in the text chat that we can't, you, you, somebody would cry foul if you were to shout it on stories to be like, guess what I just got, you know? (laughs) And we put it in the text chat to be like, girl, you are not going to believe what I just got. I got this incredible opportunity. And the others are in there like, yay. (laughs) And so I want to encourage you because anytime I post about, oh, you know, lunch with my think tank ladies or whatever, I always get DMs from people that are like, can I join the think tank? You know, how do, how, how do I get a think tank group? And the deal is like, put one together, find find three or four other ladies that you kind of jam with in your local community and say, we're starting a think tank. It is a very small group. It's not open to 10 or 20 people. It's an incredibly small group, but we seem to vibe and we're going to hold each other accountable to meet regularly to share ideas, to lift each other up when we fall flat on our face and to cheer for each other and our success. And that has been one of the best things that I have done for my business this year, because not only is it encouraging from a personal standpoint, but it's also been super helpful for my business to have these other talented ladies that I can bounce ideas off of. I love that idea. And I have seen you post about this, but I didn't necessarily know the whole background and how it came to be and what you guys do in it. And I think that is so great and something so easy that anyone can do anywhere, like you said. 
Well, and here's the deal, because, you know, Patricia, I'm always saying, I'm like, everything is content, right? Everything is content. Everything's an opportunity. And we're now at the point where restaurants will host our group in exchange for content. I love that. That's so smart. Look, there's like another business opportunity within that then. Yes. So, I mean, everything is an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yep. So speaking of content, I know that you are so good with videos. You're so good at Reels, TikTok, your stories. What's some advice that you can give behind that? I feel like so many people that I interview or just talk to in my daily life, like we hate being in front of the camera, um, that front-facing video camera style. So is there a tip or a word of encouragement around that? Yes. So a couple of things here. I think that if you can set up your camera as if you are FaceTiming your bestie, pretend that you are FaceTiming your bestie and talk to your camera like that, that is going to help you get over any kind of worry or self-confidence issues or, you know, anything where you're like, "Mm, I really struggle to put my my face on camera, that's going to help shift you into a different mindset. And I also think that on the content side, just be the content. Mm. That is my best tip. Now, there are different schools of thought. I know there are lots of people out there that tout, you know, a content plan, plan your next 30 days of content. It's like all of those answers are right. Those strategies are right, Mm -hmm. depending on what your business is. I'm a big proponent of whatever I'm doing for the day. That's my content plan. Mm-hmm. So if, if you are a business owner and you're at the warehouse packing boxes to go out, that's your content plan for the day. You're going to do come pack an order with me. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's whatever, whatever's on your, your agenda that day, that's your, and, and so it becomes a whole lot less stressful than being like, I've got to plan 30 days out. Yeah. And I feel like things change and especially with, you know, the the world as it is today too, some things that you might have planned for, something pops up in the world or on the news and it, it doesn't feel right to put that out at that day then. So I think it you have to be flexible and I think having that sort of plan is so smart. Yeah. And I, you know, I was working with um, a client a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and one of the things we talked about is I was like, number one priority in your business you need to be doing some sort of selling activity every single day. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't accomplish anything else, you need to do something that is a selling activity. And bottom line is creating content is a selling activity, right? Because you are utilizing a resource that for the most part is free social media to sell your product. So if you are not creating content you're missing out on a sale opportunity for business. And so when when you look at it that way, why would you do that? Um, no, I think that is so smart. And I also like how you said talking to your best friend, though, too, because in marketing, we learn so many times, you know, create this, this person that is your target audience, like give them a name and give them all these demographics and, um, you know, a special identity and everything. And you could do that with social media, but just make that person your best friend. So like every day when you're showing up on your stories or on your reels and your TikTok, just pretend like you're talking to, you know, Allie, your best friend and 
give her that name and and talk as you would to your best friend. Yes. Yeah. And there are all kinds of little tips. You know, there are so many people out there that offer like reels courses or video courses. But the other thing that I think is helpful, that is very intentional on my part, when I record, I look at the camera on the very top of my phone instead of at my eyeballs in the frame. And what that does, and I have people that will comment, they're like, I feel like you're looking right at me. And I'm like, I kind of am, right? Because I'm looking right in the camera. So shift your eyes up a little bit and look at the camera on the top of your phone instead of in the phone. And you will find that even that small little shift in your line of sight is going to help other people subconsciously connect with you better. That is such a great tip. Um, so since this is the Preppy Podcast, I always ask everyone, what does Preppy mean to you? So how would you describe Preppy? I think I'm kind of Preppy with a twist, which I know is a, a catchphrase that a lot of people use. But for me, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of bold Preppy, right? Like I'm very much a risk taker with my fashion. And I think the preppiness that comes out in me is my love for pink, anything that's sparkly. Um, you know, I'm not afraid to wear a sequin turban to Publix. You know, I, I'm very, I'm very daring and bold. And especially as I've gotten older, um, I, I really, really do not care what other people think. Um, that has been definitely a journey on my part. But when you're in that space, I'll, I'll wear whatever. Like I literally I will wear whatever if I like it and it makes me smile and makes me feel good. I'll wear it. Yeah. I think that that's perfect. Like preppy is confidence within yourself, your style, your how you present yourself, um, just having confidence in yourself. And, and you know me, I am a person, I talk about this all the time. I'm like, let's have delusional self-confidence, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, just roll a delusional straight jacket kind of self-confidence. Like we're, we're not caring what the outside world thinks anymore. We're doing what makes us happy. Yeah. <laughs> so this um, podcast episode comes out during my little holiday season. So I like to sprinkle in a few holiday related questions at the end here. Um, so the first is what's a tip for staying stress-free during the holiday season? I know you love to entertain and you put together a great tablescape and you have kids too. So what's a, a stress-free tip? Well, as you know, Patricia, I'm an ESTJ on the Myers-Briggs, which we learned about at the retreat. And my J comes out whenever I'm planning for parties. I will plan weeks ahead to start thinking about the decor, the serving dishes. Um, I'm, I'm hosting a very large event at my home in December. Um, that's our, our annual fundraiser. It's now become an annual. This is our second year in a row, partnering with my sister's house organization. And probably over 100 people are going to come to that event. So I'm thinking through already, like, what is the decor? How are we doing the front porch? What are we doing with the garlands? Because I do not like to wait to the last minute. Mm. Yep. So, so plan for success. Definitely plan. And the other, this is like a, a more of a, a tactical, you know, kind of a technical thing, but it has saved me so many times when I'm entertaining like 20 or 30 people for like smaller events. Mm -hmm. I will batch 
mix a mocktail. Mm. And then on the side, I have the alcohol so that it's a drink that everyone can drink. But I have a lot of friends who don't drink alcohol. And I personally, I like alcohol. I just don't drink it very often. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm usually the person at the party with, you know, a sparkling beverage or whatever. And I have a lot of friends that don't drink. So this makes my work trying to manage drinks for everybody so much easier if you batch mix a mocktail and then put the alcohol on the side and let them mix it however they want to. Yeah, I think that's so smart. And actually, my next question was going to be like a go-to recipe or cocktail recipe. So do you have a mocktail recipe that everyone should check out? Well, I do because this is the mocktail we're going to serve at the holiday fundraiser, and it's a mistletoe. It's called a Christmas mistletoe. Um, we are partnering with Bacardi and using their Grey Goose vodka. So we're going to pre-mix cranberry juice with soda, uh, soda water, and some elderberry flower syrup, and that will be the concoction, and then they will add in their Grey Goose um, for people that want alcohol. It's oh, I love that. Very festive. You can throw some cranberries in there. It's very holiday looking. It's just an easy thing that a lot of people, it kind of hits the taste buds of a lot of different people. Definitely. Now, what about a tip for setting a table? I know you have so many pretty tablescapes. So I'm curious if there's something you can share with listeners who might not be as confident or kind of maybe even just looking for something new to try. Yeah. So I, my rule around tablescapes is the same rule that I have towards my personal style. And that is that there are no rules. Mm -hmm. Like I legit wear white after Labor Day. I, you know, I wear, I wear polka dots with stripes. I do whatever. Same thing for my tablescapes. You know, I think that put out whatever makes you happy. And I'm a huge fan of infusing modern elements with vintage. And so pull out grandma's china, you know, yeah. it might be not so cute on its own, but if you mix it with, a, you know, the plates with a beautiful modern charger or add in something, you might look at those plates differently and be like, you know, they actually work. I think I <laughs> like these. Um, I am just a huge proponent of using what's in your cabinets mm-hmm. and don't let like the fine crystal in China sit in there and use it only once a year. Pull that stuff out and enjoy it. Make yourself a little fancy cocktail in the afternoon and use your crystal wedding china. Like it doesn't need to sit in there and collect dust. So I think with your holiday tablescapes, first go to your pantry before you go spend money to buy new things. Go look in your pantry and see what you have. Pull some elements out that you really love and then infuse something new that you might want to try to pull together a look. But uh, there are also like even with um, centerpieces, if you have magnolia trees, which I do in my neighborhood, I go and clip fresh magnolia add in a few little pomegranates or citrus with it and boom, you've got a centerpiece, you know, using natural foliage that you can find outside, Mm. that's going to save you a lot of money. And, you know, sometimes it's just really pretty to bring those natural elements in. That's a great idea. I love using natural elements too. At my parents' place in South Carolina, they have these huge pine cones and I always uh, steal them and bring them up here in the north so that I can use them for tablescapes because they're so fun. Um, And they add a nice little texture and color and a little bit of nature to it. 
I love that. Yeah. Um, okay. So my final question is, what's next? Is there anything you're working on or sneak peek? Maybe do you have dates for the retreat yet? Anything like that that you can share? Why, thank you for asking, Patricia. <laughs> um, there's a couple things. One thing I'm really excited about, and depending on when this is airing, mm-hmm. November 15th, I have a little holiday collab launching with one of our favorite brands, Garland Bags. Mm-hmm. And so we've got a little capsule we're launching with them, and I'm very excited. The dates for the spring retreat in Charleston are uh, April 28th through May 2nd. So it's uh-huh. a Sunday through a Thursday and it's going to be on the Isle of Palms in Charleston. Uh-huh. That's where we're targeting. Details will come out in January. We do have a first dibs list, so it will sell out again. So what I've asked people is if you go to my link in bio on Instagram, you can sign up for the first dibs list. And as soon as details go out, you will get emailed so that you have first dibs to see if you want to sign up for the retreat or not. So exciting. And I obviously saw a sneak peek of these garland bags clutches and they are so good. So I can't wait for that and for the spring retreat. Um, So then let everyone know your website URL, your social media handle. That way they can follow along. They can know where to sign up, like you said, Um, all of that good stuff. So the best place to find me is if you go to Instagram or TikTok, Julianne Taylor Style. And there's a link in bio that has so many different ways to connect with me, depending on what your needs are or how I can help service you in some way. Um, but all the ways you can you can work with me. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Juju. This was so fun talking with you. You know that I just so enjoy our conversations and I'm so happy everyone else got to hear from you today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Preppy Podcast. I hope this put a little prep in your step for the day. Please subscribe, rate, and review on wherever you listen to your podcast. And follow along with at the Preppy Podcast on social media. 